0: okay everybody i'm not sure what people want do you want the vibes to be good am i am i here to uplift you after the loss to to make sure that you're like okay there are some things to take away that are good or are we are we supposed to be commiserating together cuz boy howdy i could commiserate that, there's a lot of things going <laughs> there's a lot of things going wrong in this series and a lot of them went wrong again game 2 112 to 97 the raptors lose And, you know, the first half was a huge, huge failure on defense. And the second half, it's hard to even gauge the defensive success that it was by the numbers. You know, holding the the 76ers to 45 points in the second half is good. That's a good thing. The 67 points in the first half and the growing lead that ballooned to 29 points means that it's hard to take away anything of value because the 76ers, their failures on offense in that second half are just as easily linked to not really caring and just you know seeing how big a lead they have and not having to work as hard. But when this game mattered, the 76ers found the correct pressure points, whether it was Harden, Embiid, or Maxey, even Tobias Harris at some points in this one, which even Danny Green at some points in this one, which is as depressing as it might get. But when it came down to the nitty-gritty At any point in the game, the Raptors could not get stops against the 76ers. And I understand why people want to do the ref conversation. It's it's hard to avoid in this series. The Raptors 12 free throws, the 76ers 30. This is this was always going to be part of it. You cannot escape it. Harden and Embiid are on the other side of things, particularly Embiid, right? The Raptors on the one hand there were some touch fouls called. Some of these calls, you're like, damn, it's tough to get that one. And maybe you're looking to get something on the other end. On the other hand, they are playing very physical. They are playing very rough defense on Embiid, and some of it is imperfect, and some of it does include fouling. So the Raptors are going to operate at a foul deficit in this series, even if they end up winning. They're still going to, in these games, operate at a foul deficit. That's just... Joel Embiid, you have to foul him to guard him. How much gets called, we're seeing a lot early on in this series, obviously. But man, I, I understand why people are upset about the whistle. I totally get that. So yeah, I, I just want to get that out of the way first. So the Raptors, I think one of the big things currently that's happening is a way too much respect for James Harden in this series. And that continued in this game, less so in the second half, but Harden wasn't pressing as much Actually, you know, hit the, scratch the record. What's it? Uh, that's not a record scratch. I can't do a good record scratch. So let's just start at the, the beginning of the game. Fred Van Vliet, he comes out gangbusters. He's shooting really well. He's not even getting that ball into the dip of his jumper. Catch and shoot stuff. It's going up. It's dropping in. And the Raptors, they get out to that big run to start the game out. Hey, things look pretty good. What they're doing by identifying Joel Embiid and, and how they're supposed to attack. I talked about this after the last game is, and, and in the preview stuff too, as well is that the Raptors have to be able to get Embiid out of the paint sometimes. And Pascal Siakam will thrive and will do things in this series. Of course, like he didn't shoot well in this game, but he finished with 2010 and five. And honestly, some of those shots just touched every part of the rim. But anyway, they started instead of having just like, M, sorry, Siakam's guy scream. They sent whoever Embiid was guarding, bring him up to screen, bring Embiid out of the paint, make him guard. And off the start of the game, Fred had the juice to make that work and kind of, you know, punish them, get Embiid out of the paint. The benefits were seen elsewhere. But as the game waned on, that really wasn't viable anymore. But it was nice to see for at least a little bit. And so the first half, honestly, was... A very, very, it's two teams exchanging blows and the Raptors couldn't really keep pace. It's, it's tough because they took that first punch. Embiid had 19 points in the first quarter for what it's worth. 19 and took a lot of free throws and the Raptors took that punch and outscored them in the first quarter. They won 33-32 and largely on the backs of Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam playing fantastic basketball, really getting the Raptors into their sets, getting them good looks and taking advantage, hitting some tough shots as well. But on the other end of things, the Raptors are still... Well, in the first quarter, I didn't even think the defense was that bad. I just thought it was like, man, Embiid is really... The fitness level is really high because with a guy that big getting up and down the floor, you always wonder how long they can go for and all that kind of stuff. And Embiid had a motor to get after his own misses to just plow through guys. And as it turns out, he was rewarded with free throws in this game. And so the 76ers just leaned on him. And the Raptors as a team concept had a pretty good defense in the first quarter where it really fell apart is that Embiid gets that rest at the top of the second quarter and he got a really nice long rest, but Van Vliet played every single minute of that first half. Pascal played most of the first half and they started to feel the effects of that. They weren't as good at pressing the defense. They, the touch on the shots was just like kind of missing, missing. And Fred in particular, took a lot of shots at the, towards the end of the second quarter and tried to kind of shoot the Raptors back into it. But when we were looking at the start of the second quarter, the Raptors lost the Embiid off the four minutes. And they did so, it's just like sometimes you're on the really bad end of shooting variation, and you don't help yourself at all. Like getting a missed shot and Danny Green being able to come in on the weak side and get an offense rebound, finds find Shake Milton for a three. You just can't have that in those minutes without Embiid on the floor. You need to bludgeon the 76ers. That's how every team beats them. It's really hard to win when Embiid is on the floor. He's one of the best players in the league. He might be the MVP, but and we've seen this in a playoff series before how important that was and the Raptors did achieve it in that series in 2019, but also on top of that is just like Danny Green running out to filling the lane to the corner in transition and a pass from a guy who's like 12 feet away. Just a quick touch pass goes out to him. He hits a contested corner three, hits another three. It's just like all the threes came at the right time for the 76ers and the Raptors couldn't keep pace. And, and the offense was still going decently at that point in time, but the, the Raptors thought that, okay, with, with beat out, we can relax a little bit. And that's where that offensive rebound comes in. And then that's three points you give up. And then they thought, okay, well we can kind of take our time and we're going to win these minutes, but the shooting variants just, they got smashed. And that is really tough to deal with. And then Embiid comes back in, right? And he's, he got his rest. He's fully ready to go and he can start carrying. And then the Raptors have to load up on him. And then not only are these guys like Fred and Pascal losing a little bit of their stamina trying to carry an offense, but these guys have to try and range back. Particularly Maxi has to guard a guy like Max, sorry, a guy like Fred, sorry. He has to guard a guy like Maxi in rotation or straight up. And in this game, Gary Trent Jr. guarding Harden, not good. Needed a lot of help. Fred guarding Maxi, he just did not have the juice. Maxi got two feet in the paint basically whenever he wanted in this game. And that wasn't just dependent on being able to be on the, on the you know, being the person who benefits from second side action and attacking a tilted defense. This was a guy who stagnant offense, could just take the ball. Maybe he gets a screen, maybe he doesn't, but he's getting downhill. He's getting to that floater. And this is the tough thing about, you know, missing Scotty Barnes, missing Gary Trent Jr. is that <sighs> Gary Trent Jr. in these regular season contests, because Gary Trent played nine minutes, took three shots, didn't make anything, and had to leave again with the sickness that very clearly affected him in in game one. And he was a big part of this matchup offensively. and there's two sides of the floor. I get it. And we like to compartmentalize that. Okay. Yeah. Like there's all off- offense and defense. And especially in a series where Matisse the is getting play. It really does make you think about those things, but it's, it's just basketball, man. And when Siakam and when Fred don't get that break and they just have to keep gunning and they don't get even get like that little dribble handoff or a pitch plate to Gary Trenton jr. To try and keep up. That's tough. And I I felt it less with Siakam. I saw some people saying that they thought Siakam was playing defense poorly. I did not get the same sense. At least, at least, not to the point where I would I would pick it out. I mean, he he's typically the guy who's recovering for a lot of these actions. And maybe you're sitting there and saying like I don't like how late to close out he is. But that's in response to how deep people are getting because the help you give is dependent on how deep the dribble penetration is. If it gets deeper, you're farther away from where you have to close out to. And so that affects that. And and Fred has a way harder matchup than Pascal did defensively. Like Pascal is playing this type of, you know, rover role. He's switching sometimes. And on some possessions, he's getting Embiid. But Fred, for the most part, is, is playing just straight up against one of Harden you know, or Maxi, and even Harris every once in a while, but mostly Maxi, And that's really tough for him to compete with while he's putting up a bunch of shots on the other end and trying to make the offense go. And so the Raptors, they didn't have the depth to kind of balance this stamina act that they're trying to run, especially when you have to play this really taxing type of defense. And so that that was the biggest key for the Raptors getting bludgeoned. As for the rest of the, the starting lineup, like Gary obviously super bad game he was really bad on defense and really bad on offense is that really his fault honestly no I I would hate to grade somebody while they're sick like he was sick and the Raptors tried to play him it went poorly I don't I don't blame him for that I mean he wanted to play he tried it out it's not like the Raptors were excited to put Malachi Flynn in the starting lineup or or Ken Birch or maybe even Thad Young who's has a sprained thumb right and uh, yeah, OG, I thought was fine too. I, I still think he helps too much on, on on the Harden stuff. And I understand like the Raptors are very help oriented, but I think that's probably a big adjustment that they need to make heading into game three. I was surprised they didn't do it as much as I thought they might in game one or game two where, you know, lay off of Harden. Harden is most dangerous currently as a playmaker. Make him become a scorer. Yeah, he's going to hit some tough shots. Yeah, he's going to put the ball on the floor a little bit, but you don't have to shade over so hard that you're you know, tilting the defense for a guy like Maxi. because Maxi, by the way, finished with 23, 9, and 8 and 73% from the floor. He had 38 the other night for the record. So the Raptors, that defense, just not tenable. And it seems currently that they don't really have... If the 76ers are going to play this well, if... Tobias Harris is going to shoot 64% from the floor, make every single three, and give you a little bit of pop off the dribble. You cannot contain Tobias Harris. Honestly, you can't, because you can't afford to make him the focal point of what you want to do defensively. So Tobias Harris is going to keep attacking tilted defenses. He's going to attack your fourth or fifth best defender on the floor. And Tobias Harris is getting paid a max contract currently, right? The 76ers paid him to stick around because they wanted and beat to have a good team. And you can quibble about what a person is, you know, what a player's contract is worth and all that kind of stuff. But Tobias is way too good right now. He's just playing way too good that he completely overwhelms the Raptors fourth or fifth best defender on the floor. Them's the breaks. Will he shoot this good the rest of the series? I don't think so. But he's shooting it right now. And the Raptors are down 2-0. Maxi. You know, same thing. He is so overwhelming against the tilted defense. And the Raptors, they cannot afford to just let Joel Embiid run roughshod because Joel Embiid did. And the Raptors needed a just fantastic offensive quarter to hang with it. 33-32, they won it. But it's just like, man, the the 76ers have too much going for them right now. And the Raptors, like I was talking about earlier, if they have Scotty or Gary, some of that offensive load might be able to be picked up. So the Raptors that range defensively, that point of attack defense, you know, for for Pascal and Fred, the former and the latter, it's just like that becomes a little bit easier, especially when you're playing every minute on the floor. I, I think Siakam ended up with like 41 minutes in this game. Fred 44. That's tough, and neither of, neither of them finished shooting the ball well from the floor. Pascal started out five for ten, finished seven for 20. And as I said, like a lot of these kind of they rim out, and a lot of them were good looks that just didn't drop in. Fred had a harder shot diet than Pascal did, and he just, and he ended up just missing wide-open catch-and-shoot threes by the end of it, so that, that was tough to see. But yeah, the 76ers, the way they're currently playing, they have too much, and especially if the Raptors are going to continue to load up on Harden like they did in the first half, it's too much. I think that's the, that's the number one adjustment they can make, but that doesn't even get them all the way back into this thing. And certainly in this game, more so than game one, you can complain more about how the Raptors performed offensively. But again, like when the game is sitting, you're behind by 29 points. It's hard to gauge what's really happening because the the game plans that both teams are playing are not nearly as precise. And you can't expect the way that the second half or the like second half of the third quarter and the fourth quarter were played. You cannot expect to see basketball like that at the start of game three. We're we we're learning very little, basically. The the biggest thing from the second half, honestly, is that Chris Boucher's hustle plays, you know, that's, that's what his podcast is called, isn't it? Hustle play? Some sort of thing? Yeah, like Chris Boucher was making a ton of hustle plays. He, he played superb in the second half when the game was getting a little bit sloppy and teams were moving away from, or kind of sliding back towards their base game plans that you'd see in the regular season instead of these hardwired, very... Um, specific defensive game plans for playoff series. You know Chris Boucher started to pop off, and OG he looks fantastic. And and you know what? Maybe if you're gonna say like the the second half, if you're gonna take anything away, OG's creation I think is a big thing because you know Embiid is still in help, and his his primary is still the same. Like his primary defender is still very similar. The, the 76ers, the same way that the Raptors, they simply cannot overhaul anything they do to stop Tobias Harris. If Tobias Harris is going to play this way, Tobias Harris is going to play this way. You lean harder on Maxi maybe and say, we can't afford what Maxie is doing currently. But you just, you don't have the manpower to take away what Tobias is doing. It's similar for the 76ers and OG. OG finishes with 26, 10 of 14 from the field, four of seven from downtown. He was terrific getting his own shot, even even in the first half when the 76ers really they cared a lot more about how things were working and, and to start the third quarter. Like OG being able to put the ball on the floor, get all the way to the rim, some nice footwork to pull up three-pointers, all this kind of stuff. It was reminiscent of the, of the preseason, I think, where everybody's like, oh, whoa, what the hell is OG going to do? This is really, really intriguing. And on top of that, when the Raptors got out to that hot start mostly because of... Pascal and Fred creating on the back end of some of those offensive possessions is an OG three pointer. And I I tweeted this out that the two easiest things to predict coming into this series was that OG and Tyrese Maxey were both going to be terrific. It's just, you look at the way these teams match up, that was so evident. And on the one hand, OG has been really great. Quite literally, no complaints about OG. But Tyrese Maxey gives you 23, 9, and 8. 73% 73% from the floor, 38 the other night. It's just it's different levels. Maxi is Star Ascendant right now. He is crushing the Raptors. That run that the Raptors started to make because OG was just carrying offensively. It you know, the thing that kind of stuck the knife in the Raptors and it was the the death knell was that Tyrese Maxi 3. And Tyrese is taking shots that you know sometimes he has no business taking, but he's in that zone right now. How long he's there for, I don't know. But as I said in all my previous stuff and everywhere I talked about this, you know, this dang series is that Maxi is plus 40% from when he pulls up from three. He's like 45% when he he's a catch and shoot option from three. He's just fantastic cutting to the rim. It's too much. And I think that the Raptors would be better served by putting some of that defensive attention on him instead of Harden. Because if if you were saying, okay, let's let's make Maxi prove it. Well, and that's the thing too, right? Is that make Harden the off-ball guy because Harden isn't that good off-ball, and, and not because he's not talented, but just like he doesn't apply his talents that well. He he's very much likes to play at his own pace. And if you load up on Harden, this is the problem. You load up on Harden, and he gets to play at his own pace, and then he gets to shift your defense, and then sling that pass to Maxi, and then Maxi just gets to be like, boom, this great punch of offense. Put that attention on Maxi, Make him swing to Harden. See if Harden has the same verve, the same punch from the weak side. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm thinking about. And you can't exactly control that because it's not like these Houston days where you're going to see Harden come over half, get the ball out of his hands, and then make him off ball. But I just think OG on Harden. That's what you do from the get-go. And then, and like, and I understand that's tough, but you go OG on Harden, make sure that his isolations, if he wants to take them, good luck, pal. You know, there was some foul baiting in this last game that I, I didn't think OG deserved a couple of the fouls that were called. And, you know, a, a rip-through foul ended up in free throws, even though it's not supposed to. There are things to complain about for sure. But I think that would be an adjustment to make. It's just like, wow, you know, let let Harden see if he wants to isolate on OG but just make sure the defense is keyed into Maxi and Embiid. And if Harden wants to turn back the clock, you see if it'll happen, but dare him to do it. Because I don't think he's got the juice right now, man. He went 3 of 9 from the four tonight, but he continued to tilt the defense. I just this is what this is what has to happen, man. I think I think we'll probably see the the defensive game plan reflect this, but yeah, the Raptors just the talent gap currently and the way that the 76ers are playing. The Raptors just don't have it right now. Gary is giving you zero because he's sick. Fred Pascal, a lot of defensive attention for all this stuff that was talked about the, the Raptors being a defense that should be worried about in the playoffs. Like all this stuff about them being fantastic and, you know, being switchable and adaptable and, you know, the 76ers have, relatively the same defensive rating as the Raptors during the regular season. And they have Embiid, who is as proven a playoff defender as many players in this league. It's not like the defensive player of the year who comes in and locks down a whole series, but Embiid, when it was Kyle and Kawhi and Pascal, all those guys, Embiid locked down the paint against those guys. Kawhi had to hit, you know, step back three after step back three to beat him then. And Embiid is better now. So the 76ers can slump their way into pretty good defense, especially at the rim. And the Raptors aren't slumping their way into anything right now. And man, it's tough. It's just tough. Reggie Evans award. We'll go with Chris Boucher. And uh, I, I feel pretty good about that. He hustled his butt off. And in a game like this, you know, you just want, you want the guy who hustles his butt off, give him a little reward for that. And yeah, there you go. Chris Boucher, Reggie Evans award. Hopefully he brings that, you know, hopefully he's able to impact the game at the same level, you know, at, starting in the first quarter whenever he checks in, right? That'd be fun for game three. And Phil Jackson, right, that's the quote, is that series doesn't start until you win on the opposing team's floor. So the Raptors the Raptors can keep the series at not started by winning two in a row in Toronto. We'll see what adjustments they make. So the top quick reaction comment is from... Niagara underscore dude, quote, I still believe we can win the series, but nurse needs to adjust. We need to play with pace, fast break slash transition basketball on Wednesday and move the damn ball in half court offense. Other than Maxi, the 76ers do not have much speed and great athletic ability. Move the ball and force them to defend right now with ISO basketball. We are allowing them to stand around and rest at defensive end. Get Danny Green in space or Harden in space and force them to chase and use energy. 76ers are playing great team basketball and getting wide open looks because of it. They shot almost 47% from three. There are others are making shots, which has been the difference in the series. End quote. Yeah. Some of these things is just like, uh, how do you get from point A to point B? I suppose like playing with pace and moving the ball around and forcing them to defend no ISO basketball, the Raptors, if they're not playing Gary Trent Jr., they lose a huge part of their shooters, right? And if Fred Van Vliet is going to shoot five of 16 from three, that's also, and miss wide open catch and shoot shots, that's also losing a bunch of shooting. And Fred is also shooting less than 30% on three since the all-star break. Why would the 76ers move? Right? Why would they move? Why? How would the Raptors be able to get them in space if the 76ers don't respect the shot? And don't really care, like, yeah, Precious, shoot it. Chris Bouch- Chris Boucher, shoot it. Right. And Precious, to his credit, took a couple guys off the bounce earlier in the game when they were like, okay, you know, wh- what's it gonna be? But how do you get the 76ers to do this? And the Raptors were last in assist percentage during the regular season. They're what they do on offense is not, you know, punch the middle in, you know, swing the ball, extend advantage, swing, swing, swing. Like their players. They don't have the shooting to get those like insane closeouts from teams. What the Raptors do is they find a mismatch or they find an action that they like and they exploit that action. It's not like the beautiful Spurs basketball where these guys are, you know, exploiting this advantage and then getting side top side action and then attacking here and cutting here and moving the ball around and ping, ping, ping. I, we've seen like two games this season where they played like that. And that was against like the Charlotte Hornets. And, you know, Fred wasn't even there for that game. That's kind of, how did the Raptors play this way when they haven't at all? And especially when they can't dictate that the 76ers should even respond to a lot of this stuff. Like I said, like at the top of the podcast, Fred was able to get, you know, Embiid out of the paint. But then eventually that advantage went away as the game went on. And that just wasn't the case anymore. And, you know, how do they get Danny Green or Harden in space? I don't know. I this will be in the breakdown I do that comes out uh, the morning Wednesday morning, but like OG attacked, I believe it's Georges Niang when he saw that Harden was the low man. And like that was great. But rarely does the 76ers defense orient itself in that manner that you can kind of attack in that way. The defense is trying very hard to stop the Raptors. You can't just dictate these things and the reason why the 76ers are having so much success making the Raptors chase is because the Raptors, like, A, the Raptors have to chase to contest these shots because they're going in. The Raptors' shots are not going in. And, and them's the breaks, honestly. But also, even Pascal Siakam, like, if he swings the ball to Fred Van Vliet because he's getting shaded heavily on a drive, like the same way that James Harden is, is Fred Van Vliet going to tear into the middle of the defense and finish at the rim like Maxi would? Absolutely not. Is Gary Trent Jr. going to do that? No. Is Ananobi going to do that? Maybe on occasion, but he'll probably be a little bit slower. He might turn it into a post-up or something like that. And so, you know, Precious Achua was probably as close as it got to a guy taking guys off the bounce, attacking closeouts. And you wonder how the Raptors can dictate these things and make them happen. I don't really see, like, obviously, if you can get Harden and Green and George Niang and everybody on an island, go for that compromise them where you can but how the Raptors get to that point I'm not sure and especially since that isn't how they play basketball at all and hasn't been how they've played offensively at all this season I don't even think they have the guys to do it but I I certainly hope I certainly hope they do that'd be fun fun brand of basketball although I I, you know I, I enjoy their brand of offense the offense was sloppy in this game but the defense is what lost it for them for the second game in a row, for what it's worth. The the problems are on defense. The Raptors' offensive problems look a lot, they look a lot smaller if they're getting, you know, some of these possessions in transition and that kind of stuff. And if they're getting offensive rebounds to get those extra possessions too, like they have been all season. But it's not happening right now. And so can they completely switch styles and play this brand new way of basketball? I, I don't see it. But I also don't think, like, they're doomed in this series. But I, I wish that was the way forward, but it doesn't seem like it would be. Anyway, thanks for running in, Niagara Dude. Uh, listener, thanks for listening in. Whether you got into it in the morning or at night, listener, have a blessed day and goodbye.